1850, an unusual edition of Rambam's Mishneh Torah was published in Tsarist Russia. A perusal of this work reveals that it was censored in a peculiar and unprecedented fashion. But what lies behind this story of suppression? Who was responsible for this censorship? And what does it reveal about the tensions in Jewish life at the time? So on the first handout over here, of an old print of a Sefer, this is a, a few copies of, the Mish, of a, an edition, a unique edition, or as we'll soon see, a notorious edition of the Mishnah Torah that was printed in Russia, in Tsarist Russia, in 1850. And you're looking here at the pages of Hilches Sanhedrin, Perak Dalid, and uh, on the left-hand side you have Halacha He. And in a second, we're going to read what this halacha is. First, let me summarize what this halacha is saying, and then we'll read it inside. This halacha is talking about the powers that a Sanhedrin has. And the powers that a Sanhedrin has is the normal law, the normal procedure of how a Sanhedrin has to, uh, uh, how it, 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 it does judgment. So, for example, you need to have two witnesses, and there needs to be hasra, etc., etc. We all know very rigorous standards for a Sanhedrin to follow. But then there is a, an alternative route that sometimes we'll call emergency law or hayrasha, where a Sanhedrin, a Bezdin, is able to not follow the strict protocol in order to do justice. And this, we had a class a few weeks ago when we spoke about this, and this is what the Rambam is talking about here. Let's read it as it appears in this edition. So, halachahe, v'chein hayu Sanhedrin b'chol makam v'chol zman. The Sanhedrin used to, in all times and all places, would be Malkin, would give Malkus to an Adam Shashmuasaira, a person who has a bad reputation. And the people are all saying that he violates the laws as they pertain to uh, uh, sexuality. But it must be a real substantial rumor. It can't be stam a rumor. It has to be a very significant rumor. So then even though there isn't witnesses, and even though you don't have all the rigorous testimony, still the din is that the Bezdin is allowed to punish this type of person. Okay, now let's quibble on the language a little bit. Hayu is in the past tense. Hayu is the past tense. So if you say in the past tense, that's an oxymoron to say, Bechol's man. If you say hayu in the past, then you can't say b'chol's man, which means always. Question number one. Question number two is how could you say b'chol makan? There's no such a thing as a Sanhedrin b'chol makan. The Sanhedrin is an institution that existed only in Eretz Yisrael. So the idea, the language here saying that a Sanhedrin b'chol makan b'chol's man is just very odd for these two reasons. Okay, don't have to worry too much about that. And that's because, let's see how this halacha is formulated in the actual Rambam. So now turn to the regular handout that you have and look at text number one. Here is the text, the way it appears in the standard editions of the Rambam. V'chein, yesh lebeistin, the beistin has the ability, b'chol mokin or v'chol zman, in all times and in all places, l'halkais adam sheshmo to give malkas to a person who has the bad reputation. So in other words, this edition from Russia in 1850 Introduce changes. What are the changes? Instead of it saying Beistin, it changed it to Sanhedrin. And that's why we ended up having this funny thing. Now it's like, a Beistin is taka makes sense. A Beistin could be Bechol Makam Bechol's man. A Sanhedrin, by definition, can't be Bechol Makam Bechol's man. But they, they didn't want the word Beistin there. And they're like, we're going to put the word Sanhedrin there. And another thing they changed is they wanted it should be ta- past tense. They want it should be past tense, not today, past tense. So they wrote Hayu instead of Echein Yeshle based in Hayu. So these are the two changes that were introduced in this edition of the Mishnah Torah from Petersburg, St. Petersburg in 1850. So in other words, <clears throat> the editor of this edition of the Mishnah Torah was not comfortable, uh, seemingly, with the idea that uh, a Bezdin today has the ability to give Malkus to someone who has a bad reputation. So how do you fix that? You fix it by making it past tense and also limiting it to Sanhedrin. And because he introduced those changes, we end up having this very funny language of Bechal Malkim of Zman. Okay, that's number one. Now let's go back to Halacha 2. Halacha 2, excuse me, Halacha Dalit. Go back to Halacha Dalit. 
What does it say? It says as follows. <coughs> Here it says, The Sanhedrin used to have the permission to give Malchus to a person who is not obligated to receive, is not Chayev Malchus. It's the same thing as talking about the person who, Minhadin isn't Chayev. But nonetheless, we're gonna, he's going to get punished due to the emergency. But you'll notice here it says, Hoya. Look at number two in the regular handout. Look what it says there. Yesh lebezdin. So again, the two changes were made. It's underscoring, a change was made to underscore this is in the past tense. And secondly, a change was introduced to make sure that we're talking about the Sanhedrin, that we don't want that this should sound like we're talking about a regular Bezdin, Dafka Sanhedrin. Now when you continue reading along this halacha, uh, the Rambam gives uh, examples. So let's read in text 2, in the, in the, in the handout in text uh, number 2, let's read the continuation of this halacha. <coughs> this applies to give Malchus to someone who doesn't, is not high to receive Malchus. The Misa to execute someone who's not normally liable to receive the death penalty. The Loy Lavar al not that Khasasholam you're allowed to change the Torah. This is about protecting the Torah. The Rambam continues. When the basin sees that people are getting out of hand and they're not observing a particular law, so then then they have the ability to strengthen it as they see fit, and they're allowed to, so to speak, uh, issue these types of uh, punishments. And then the Rambam gives a few examples. He says, There was a man who had relations with his wife in public under a tree, and this was done in public. And so, there's, there's, there's no chiv of Malchus for such an act. But this is an example of, this is getting out of hand, the Bezdin needs to uh, lay down the law, and so, using the emergency measures, they gave this person uh, Malchus. And then they give another story of someone who rode on a sword. The Rambam gives a second story of someone who rode on a sus, B'Shabbos, uh, in the days of the Yavanim. So they brought him to Bezdin, and he received Skila. Again, there was no Hasra here, and Lavdafke, there was witnesses here. But nonetheless, this is what they needed to do because of the emergency situation. And the Rambam then says a third thing, and once upon a time, Shimon ben Shatach uh, executed a, 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 a large number of, of, of people of, of, who were suspected of witchcraft um, uh, on a particular day. Now let's go uh, back to this uh, Petersburg edition from 1850, and let's look how these stories uh, are said. And you'll notice, if you look at the stories, instead of there being three stories, there's only two stories. There is the story of the person who rode his horse on Shabbos in the days of the Yavanim, and was executed. There is the story of the purse of Shimon ben Shatach, who executed 80 women on one day, which again, the, the way the dinim are, you're, it's, you're not allowed to execute more than one person in one day. But the story of the man who had relations with his wife under a tree was removed. And so therefore, we should note now that we have a second uh, pain point, so to speak, or a discomfort that the editor of this Mishnah Taita has. His first point that he's not comfortable with is the idea that a Bezdin could give punishments and the second thing he's not so comfortable is with the issues relating to sexuality. He's not really so comfortable about it and Bapashtus, that's why he's removing it. Let's continue along and move now to text number three in the standard handout. So look what he says in text number three. This is Hilchas Avodim, Perek Tes, Halacha Ches. The Rambam here is talking about the din of Evet Knani a non-Jewish slave. And although when it comes to an Evid Ivri, there is a din that says that we're not allowed to give him avoida that's called perech. What's avoidas perech? Avoidas perech is defined in halacha if it's useless. And the only reason you're giving him this job to do this labor is because you want to show who's boss. You want to show who's boss, so you say, yeah, I'm going to go ask you to move those 80 cartons from this side of the room to the other side of the room, and this way you establish who's the boss. So this is called avoidas perech, and you're not allowed to give this to an Evet Knani, says the Rambam, uh, Evet Ivri, says the Rambam, this is permitted for an Evet Knani. Then the Rabbam says, Although this is the law, and the way of piety and the wise way is because a person should be merciful and a person should be pursuing justice. And so therefore, don't do this to Evet Knani. Although you have the legal right to do it, don't do it. Okay. 
look now at our Petersburg 1850 edition of the Rambam. You'll see Hilches Avadim. Now you need to be on page two. You'll see the beginning of Perek Tshi'i. So first of all, you'll notice right away that Perek Tshi'i begins with Halacha Ches. Halacha Ches is the very first Halacha of Perek Tshi'i. So in other words, it's a serious removal of the first seven Halachas from this edition of the Rambam. If you're looking well, you'll also see that actually the top of the page says it's Hilchas Havad and Paragimel. In other words, Parag Dalit and Parag Hay and Parag Vav and Parag Zion and Parag Ches are all removed from this edition. And it, he picks it up at Parag Chi, at Halach Ches. Let's see, remember, Halach Ches opened with the line that says that it is permitted to do Avoidas Parag for an Evet Knani. How does it open over here? Midas chasidis vidarke chachma, the way of piety and the wise way, don't be too difficult, don't be too harsh with your slave. In other words, that opening line that said that minhadin, it is permitted to do avodas parach, has been excised and has been taken out from this particular edition of, uh, of, the, of the Rambam. If you continue along, in the standard, go back now to the standard edition of the Rambam. Let's continue reading this halacha. We're at the third line now in number three. The early chachamim, they used to give from every single dish they used to give to their Eved Knani. Wow. And then he continues, the Rambam says, In fact, they would feed their animals and they would feed their slaves before they would eat themselves. So the Rambam's trying to teach a person about how to be compassionate. Let's see how this law is formulated in the Petersburg 1850 edition. So how do you have it? You'll see. He writes, They would give and they would give food to the slaves before they would give food to themselves. What was taken out over here? The animal. The animal was taken out over here. <clears throat> In other words, the editor of this Rambam felt a little uncomfortable that the Evid Knani was being put together in the same boat with the animal. And so it sounds really glorious if you say, before you feed your slaves, before you eat yourself, you feed your slaves. Hey, that doesn't sound so glorious anymore when you say before you eat yourself, you feed your animals and your slaves. You know, that doesn't sound so special anymore. And so uh, this was uh, removed. And if you continue along in this halach, we're not going to read the whole arichis. Let's go back to number three. And let's see how the Rambam uh, concludes this uh, halacha. You see where it says, Here he's talking about, yeah, don't be cruel. So he says, Where do you have cruel, brazen cruelty? You only have it by the uncircumcised, uncircumcised Gentiles. But a Yiddish kind, the children of Avram Avinu, the Heim Yisrael, who God gave the Torah, so we have Chukim and Mishpatim Sadikim, so we are Rachmanim Heim Alakah. We're supposed to have mercy on everything and everybody. Let's see how this passage is presented over here in the Petersburg 1850 edition. So here we need to look on, in his edition is page 578, right? Uh, a few lines in. It's four lines in. So instead of it saying goyim ha'arelim, it says goyim idolaters. Okay. So idolaters, they're cruel. But and certainly Jews, which so they are rachmanim heim So what happened over here? So first of all, a change. Where instead of it saying Goyim, we change it to people who worship the sun and the planets. But then secondly, in the good, there's the good guys and the bad guys in this text. So instead of it being Jews versus Gentiles, you have the idolaters, they're on the bad side. And on the good side is Chsidei Umasa'ilam and Jews, they're Rachmanim Alakil. So there are three changes that were made into this halacha, and really there's one theme that it really uh, is, is, is present in all three of them. There's a certain discomfort of how non-Jews are being presented. So the very opening of the halacha, the idea that a non-Jewish slave is different from a Jewish slave. A Jewish slave, you can't do avodas parach. A non-Jewish slave, you could, discomfort. Continue along, when you're talking about the non-Jewish slave, he being equated in the same sentence with an animal, discomfort. 
Further along, when you say it's the non-Jews who are cruel to their slaves, but Jews are cruel, major discomfort, limit that to idolaters, and then say that, by the way, Jews and also Hasidic Umas Ailam, they're nice to their slaves. And so in this way, we have a third uh, issue here. So let's summarize so far. Number one, the idea that a Bezdin could issue punishments, Malkus, Misa, or things like that, very uncomfortable. Number two, a matter of sexuality. Number three, non-Jews. And now let's see uh, uh, another example of number three. So we're going now to Hilchus Malva Veloiva, Perek Dalit. And look at Halacha Aleph and Perek Dalit in his, in the Petersburg edition. It's one tiny line. What does it say? Ha'akum, the people who worship the stars and the planets, Loivin Mayan, you may borrow from them. O Malvanoisan, you may lend to them with ribbis. Okay? So there is this idea with a Jew. There is no ribis. Ribis is not allowed. With a non-Jew, it is allowed. Very short, very, very, very short halacha. Uh, six words is the entire halacha. Aleph is six words. Are there other halachas in Rambam that are so short? Let's see how this uh, uh, halacha appears in the actual Rambam. Go to Hilchus Malva Aloiva, Perek Hey, Halacha Aleph, and let's read what it actually says. Hagoy v'ger toishov. Both a goy, as well as a ger toishov. A ger toishov is someone who accepted the Sheva Mrs. B'nai Noach. And he's living amongst Yidden. Both the non-Jew and the Ger Toshav, Loivimahen, Umalvin Oisam Beribis, then we're allowed to borrow and lend to them with ribis. Shanamar, the Pasik says, Loi Sashikh Lachicha, you're not allowed to do ribis with a brother. Lachicha Asr, Lashara Oilam for the rest, Mutter is permitted. Then the Rambam goes further and says, in fact, not only is permitted, mitzvah say, it's a it's a positive mitzvah to do so. Shanamar, <clears throat> the Pasuk says, We derive, our tradition tells us this means, Shazu Now to be sure, there are Rishonim who disagreed with the Ramban, that there's a mitzvah here, that only said it's Rishos, the Ravid, and the Ramban. They say it's only a Rishos, it's not a mitzvah, but the Rambam is very clear here. He's saying that it's a mitzvah, and this whole second half of the Halacha was taken out from this edition. And in addition, uh, in addition to that, the Ger Toishov, the fact that the Ger Toishov also is someone who were allowed to lend uh, to, uh, 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 with ribis also was taken out from this edition. Again, this goes part of that same discomfort of how we're talking about how we're the relationship between Jews and non-Jews. So that's part of the third example, the third category. Finally, the last category that I'd like to show you, let's turn in his edition to Hilchas Gizelova Aveda, Perek left hand side. Now you're gonna have to trust me over here. The top four lines is the ending of Halacha Yud Beis. Okay? So for Halacha Yud Beis, we go straight to Halacha Tezvav. There is no Halacha Yud Gimel and Yud Dalit. He presents Halacha Tezvav and Tezayin, and then there is no Yud Zayin and Yud Ches. The end, this is the end of the Perek, there is no more after this. In other words, four Halachas were omitted, were taken out from Perekhe. So the question now is what they're about. So let's read it now in the standard handout. Go to Hilchus Gelov Aveda Perekhe, Halachas Yud Gimel Yudalid. First we'll read Yud Gimel Yudalid, then we'll read Yud Zayin and Yud Ches, and then we'll figure out what was bothering the editor here. V'chein Melech Shakoas Alechod Me'avodov. You could have a king who is enraged at one of the servants, one of the citizens, Mibnei Hamadina. The Lakach Sadeu, so the king, takes this citizen's field, or his property, and why? Because he committed a crime. Says the Rambam, ain't a gezel, this is not theft, this is legal. Why? That's the way it works. When they violate the law, and the king is enraged, he has a right to punish them by taking their property. And the nafkamina is that you have a right to buy it from the king. It's not called buying from a ganav. However, melech shalaka chotzer, oisada, shal echad mibnei hamedinam. If you have a king who, who, <clears throat> who, who took a, took, not purchase, who took a property or a field from one of the people. Shaloi bedinin shachakak, but not consistent with his laws. But he just decided, I want to take it. The guy didn't do anything wrong. He just decided he wants to take it. Then Hare is a gazlin, this king is a gazlin. And if you buy it from the king, we could go and we could take it away from you. So here's the rule. If the king says, here's a rule for everyone. Everyone, no alternate side street parking. You're not allowed to park on the side of the street. 
And it's not targeting one person, ain't a gazel. And then you park your side on the other side of the street. The king could come and say, you parked on the wrong side. I'm crushing your car. I'm taking your car. The king has a right to do that. But if, however, he just randomly comes up to a person and says, by the way, I don't like the way your face looks today. I'm taking your car. That's Hamas and that's gazel. And that's the distinction. These halachas, it's two halachas, were taken out from this edition of the Rambam. Go to the next uh, 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 reading. Halachas Yudzayin and Yudches. Melech shakal karas ilane shabalabatim. If you have a king who took someone's trees away. Vasaman gesher, I made a bridge. Mutter lavar, I love your ladder, use the bridge. V'cheinim haras batim vasan derech hechayma. If he demolished homes and turned it into a highway or turned it into a wall, mutter lahanis ba, it's permitted. This is legal. V'chein ko kayeitza bezeh. Why? Shadin hamelech din. This is Rambam saying dina, demachusa dina. He uses the words dina hamelech din. So it's legal. Obviously, we don't want to get too far into the nuances of this halacha. We just want to suffice with the general point. That a king is allowed to start doing this type of behavior of taking uh, trees away or taking homes away. It's it if his currency is in those regions. Why does currency matter? Because if your currency is being used in a certain region, that means they accepted you as king. So some chadait on shu So they all agree that they are accepting as the, as the master. Vehem lo yavadim, and they're accepting that they're they're, they're servants. Avol im ein matbeya What happens if his currency does not reach that specific place, and the people don't use his money? So now, what are you doing there as a king? What are you making rules over there? And if you take trees away, so then you're stama gazlin. You're just like. A group of thieves, armed thieves. No one would say that, that what they do is the law. So to this king who's coming to this place and they're not using his currency and the people didn't accept him, which shows us the people didn't accept him as king. <coughs> this guy's not a king. This guy's a gazlin. And, and his servants are gazlonin. These halachis were omitted from the Petersburg 1850 edition of the Rambam. So what's happening here? Uh, there's a certain discomfort here on placing limitations on the power of a king. Let's remember that in 1850, in Russia, there was no uh, law. Uh, democracy, definitely not. But even the judicial system, you didn't have uh, the way we have today. Courts and a jury and uh, indictments and hearings and a right to an attorney. It didn't exist. And uh, it was an autocratic society. It was an autocratic society in, a very, um, in an absolute way. And uh, so can you start saying that kings have limitations on what they could do, number one. And number two, the key limitation, that if the people don't accept the king as king, and they don't accept his currency, so then he's Bechlala Gazlin, uh, there was a discomfort about this. And so in summary, what do we have? In summary, we have four areas that this editor of the Rambam, we need to discuss who this is, but the editor of this Rambam is bothered by four different areas. These are the only areas that we're going to look at. Again, in summary, the idea that a Jewish Bezdin has powers to punish, number one. Number two, in Yonim Ishus, at least one example of Ishus was problematic. Number three, the way we treat non-Jews and the way we talk about non-Jews and the relationship of Jews and non-Jews and the, how we think about Hasidi Umazelam and Agar Toshav. And number four, the, rule, the role of a king and the power of a king and how much power a king has and where he derives his right to rule from, these were all sensitivities that are removed from the addition, from this edition of the Rambam. So now the question is, what is this edition? Who is responsible for this edition of the Rambam? Who is the one who <coughs> committed this uh, act of censorship? So now let's look at the title page of this 1850 edition of the Rambam. Let's read and see what information we can learn from the title page. It's on the left-hand side of page number four. What does it say? It says, Eiza Halaches, Miyad HaChazaka. So right away, that's an interesting title. Eiza Halaches. This is not the whole Rambam. We already saw that. It's not the whole Rambam. We saw major sections or a number of chapters were missing. Eiza Halaches. Some Halaches, Miyad HaChazaka. Ladeneinu, Mereinu, Verabeinu, HaRambam, Nishmasa Eden. Nitfas, it's been printed, alpi shut, meaning shailos vechuvas rabbeinu v'soifreinu. It is, uh, has been printed in accordance with correspondence with the rabbis and the authors. So this is an interesting line, it's a very interesting line. What does this mean? Well, what was it supposed to mean for the reader? 
What it was supposed to mean for the reader was that this Haskamas, the Rabbanim are behind us. The Rabbanim are behind us. Also non-Rabbanim, also Seifreinu. Also Seifreinu, uh, regular uh, writers. But the Rabbanim are behind us. Um, then it gives a list of names. It gives a long list of names here. We're not going to read all of the names, but go to the third line. Go to the third line. Harav HaManoyach, Ri Dovolojina. Harav HaManoyach, Ri Dovolojina. Who's this? This is Rabbi Yitzchak of Velojin. This is the son of Rabbi Chaim Velojin. He took over the Velojin Yeshiva, Rabbi Yitzchak of Velojin. We'll talk more about him in a few minutes. So he's mentioned over here as being an endorser of this Sefer. Okay, then someone else. Now go down one line. Harav, Rabbi Menachem, so by the Yitzchak Velazhener, what did it say? It said Hamanoyach. Why? Because he passed away in 1849. This Rambam was printed the next year in 1850, so he's already Harav Hamanoyach. The Tzamach Sedek was still alive. The Tzamach Sedek is presented on the title page here as endorsing this edition of the Rambam. And then there's a Rabbi Halperin who's mentioned uh, right under that from Berdichev. We'll talk more about him soon. Then the next name is Yitzchok Ber Levinson. So Yitzchok Ber Levinson, he's one of the most famous maskilim in Russia at the time. Uh, the maskilim is the movement of Jewish enlightenment where they wanted to introduce significant reforms to Jewish life and Jewish education at this time. And uh, Levinson, so he's the Seifrenu, I assume, although he's titled here as a rabbi as well. Uh, I assume he was a rabbi, but um, he's known for being a, a masculine, for advocating for significant reforms at the time, and he's uh, mentioned over here, and then under that you see um, uh, Petersburg, you see the, 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 the place, and then the year of printing is given in Hebrew, and then in Russian uh, under it. Okay, so um, that's interesting. We have uh, some of the greatest uh, rabbis over here who are said to be endorsing this edition of the Mishnah Torah, along with some of the greatest maskilim, uh, this is very, very, uh, a very, very fishy thing. It doesn't say haskamas. Haskamas means I gave haskamas. Shalos you think about it, what does shalos v'tshuva mean? It means correspondence. In other words, uh, there was correspondence with all these rabbis. So was there correspondence, was there taka correspondence with the Tzamach Tzedek about this edition? So the answer is yes. So now let's have a look at what that correspondence looked like. So turn to page two. So this is printed in the standard edition of the Tamach Tadak. It's Igeres Lamed Zayin. And let's read through this letter. Be'ezas Hashem Yisbarech. Yoim. Hey. Yud Gimel Adar edition. The year is not given here, but we know that it's Tafresh Ches. It's 1848. <clears throat> my good friend, great guy, very wise. Reb Arye Leib Mandelstam. Arye Leib Mandelstam is also a well known maskil from this time. And uh, the Tzamach Tzedek is writing to him. Mandelstam in 1848 is the leader of the Russian government, he's a representative. Uh, in the Russian, working for the Russian government as part of the Sar HaChinuch, so office, in terms of reforming the education for the Jews. Let's back up a little. In 1843, there was a very famous meeting that happened in Petersburg, where the Tzamach Tzedek went, Rabbi Yisrael went, and others went as well. Behind closed doors, Maskilim were there, the Russian government was there, and the Rabbanim were there. And what was this meeting about? The meeting was about that the masculine wanted to advocate that there should be significant changes to Jewish life and especially to Jewish education. And the Rabbanim didn't want it. The government, the Russian government, wanted it because there was this policy that they had of Russification. Basically, they wanted the Jews to become more Russian. Jews were living in areas, the Pale of Settlement, they spoke Yiddish, many Jews didn't even speak the regular language, and it was felt that they need to be Russified and assimilated into the general society. So there was a partnership that was made between the Maskilim. They were also dissatisfied with how Jewish life looked. They wanted to introduce changes. So there was a partnership that was made between the Maskilim and the Russian government. But at the end of the day, the Rabbanim had full control. And not only they had full control, on the books, you can't tell Jews to go against their religion. So therefore, it was a very kind of sticky situation. And the Russian government wanted, but if the Rabbanim say it's against their religion, so what are you going to do? And this is what this meeting happened in 1843. Mandelstam. Uh, Mandelstam was at the meeting and he was the official translator uh, at the meeting because some of the Rabbanim didn't speak uh, Yiddish. The more famous person didn't speak, didn't speak Russian. 
The more famous person at this uh, meeting, who was known as from the uh, side of the Maskilim, his name was Max Lilienthal. You may have heard the name. Later he left. When he left, Salmandelstam took over and became like the leader of this movement who was trying to introduce these reforms on behalf of the Maskilim and again being paid by the Russian government to do this because there was an alliance between the Russian government and the Maskilim. So in this, we have now, five years later, in 1848, the Tzamaq is writing to this Mandelstam a letter. Let's see what this letter is about. I got your letter yesterday, and you asked, am I able to travel to Minsk? And if not, you want my answer immediately. So to travel to Minsk, I can't at all. It's been all winter, more than five months. I'm receiving refuis uh, that are necessary because of illness in my abdomen, and so therefore um, I can't uh, travel. And so therefore, instead of traveling to Minsk to meet with you, I'm going to give you an immediate response. So the immediate response, the truth is I already spoke to you when you were here. So in other words, now we know that Aryeh Leib Mandelstam, by the way, his secular name was Leon, so very often he's referred to Leon Mandelstam. So Leon Mandelstam was in Lubavitch, and he had a meeting with the Tzamaq Sadek. And they already discussed this issue. And I already told you, There is no reason to change anything that we agreed upon in the commission. Commission here means 1843. That time when we were in Petersburg, it was behind closed doors. It's not like we have an exact protocol of exactly what was said there, but there was a certain consensus and agreement that came out. And that's the status quo today. There's no, let's not revisit this. And no, we can't go back. And I already told this to you face to face when you came to Lubavitch. Okay, Avo became, but at the end of the day, in your honor, even after you left, I, re, I reconsidered the whole thing. That may be far to give uh, some justification to your proposal. However, <clears throat> and now I'm going to answer you um, in writing. And what's the answer? Uh, what I told you then when you were here. No changes. I was right then. No changes. And here he writes a few things. We're not going to read the whole letter, just the parts that are relevant. Chas v'shalem, he writes, to make kitsurim of the Mishnah. And to make shinuyim and dilugim, skipping around, that was never heard of before. So in other words, from this we learn that he, Mandelstam came to Lubavitch sometime in 1848, earlier in the year, and said, new proposal. We want to create a Mishnah curriculum. And rather than the way Mishnah is taught in the Chadarim now, it's going to be changed, and we're going to make a kitzer, and you'll skip around, and those types of things. Says Samach absolutely not. There was also this other idea, making a kitzer of Tanakh, where you skip around and you don't learn all the things. This also uh, is off the table, and the Tamach Tadek refers uh, Mandelstam to the eighth principle of the Rambam, where the Rambam famously says that in the Torah, the Pasuk, Ubnei Cham, Kushim Mitzrayim, which seems trivial, is the same value as the Pasuk Anoich Hashem Alekecha. Why? Because it's all part of the same Torah. So for you to start saying that we're going to start cherry-picking, unacceptable. Okay, so this is about two types of works. A reformed Mishnah and a reformed uh, Tanakh. Then he says, What about the collections of the Rambam? In other words, an edited edition of the Rambam, which is what we're looking at today. So the Tzamaq Sadiq says, before he reads what he says, let me tell you, <clears throat> now we already understand this edition of the Rambam, what we're looking at. We're looking at an edition of the Rambam that was being produced and pushed by the Maskilim in Russia, by Mandelstam, which is, explains why you have Levinson's name over there on the title page. What, what do they have with this Rambam? What do they like this Rambam so much? One of the big issues they had is they hated the Gemara. The Gemara to them was a symbol of everything that was wrong with Jewish life. The idea of your learning, question and an answer, without a conclusion, you don't even know the Allah Chalamaisa, there's a Machloikas, and again, another Shaila, and another Viraminu, and a Toshma, this is, this is not no organized way to learn. That's not how people in the 19th century, it's not how you learn, you learn a topic. You learn a topic, orderly, here in Gemara, and, and then you're going to say, that by the way, this is not the Maskana, because in Masech there's another piece, and you need to learn that piece, and then, right? This is not the way to learn. So they had a very difficult time, generally speaking, with, uh, with uh, Gemara. In fact, uh, um, uh, a few uh, weeks ago in a class, I quoted from Pauline Wenegroff, who was living at this time in Russia. 
So she quotes that when Max Lilienthal came through Brisk, where she lived, and she writes that uh, Lilienthal said, we're going to do the Chadarim without Baba Kama, without Baba Metzia, and without Baba Basra. This is what he said. And she says that her father, although he wanted reforms, because he was like, he also wanted, but that really bothered her father. Like, well, on Gemara, on Baba Kama, but that was the quote. Everyone in town was saying that. You can have a Cheder without Baba Kama, without Baba Metzia, and without Baba Basra. Uh, they also didn't like Shulchan Aruch so much. That's like orthodoxy. That's like, hey, this is what you need to do and whatever. Rambam was a more attractive model. First of all, it's organized. There's no pull-pulling. Every topic is, you know, you can learn it. You can, so to speak, master the topic. So they liked that part of it. It wasn't orthodoxy in the way Shulchan Aruch was. And also there was a certain, uh, I don't know if I should say romanticizing about the Rambam, of the enlightened man, the Mer Nevuchim, uh, broader than just Halacha. And so uh, the Rambam was for them a symbol of the way, future, uh, the way of the future. And so therefore, for all of these different reasons, they wanted to introduce a Rambam, but as we're able to see, not the whole Rambam, an edited version of the Rambam into the cu- curriculum. So what does the Samach Sadek say? Rambam is great if you already learned Gemara. And the Mefarshim, and the Torah, and the Beis Yosef. Then, Rambam, Yosef, then you'll get uh, more to the, to the depths of the Sugya. If you didn't learn the Gemara yet, you're not going to know the Din, Isser, and Heter, Kasher, and Puzzle. You're not going to know. And where am I getting this from? I'm getting it from the Rush. Wow. So, what's the Tamak Sadeh basically saying? The Rambam is not so useful, basically. It's not so useful. Why? Because uh, if you know Gemara, then the Rambam is good. If you don't know Gemara, the Rambam is no good. Look at the Rosh. So what's the Rosh? So the Rosh is a tshuva. The Rosh says as follows. This was a mashka. <laughs> so the Rosh says as follows. The, the case over there was, there was a shaila about mikveh that came up. And a certain <laughs> Rav passed in a different way based on the Rambam. And the Rosh said... You're only doing that because you looked at the Rambam and you don't know the Gemara. If you knew the Gemara, you would automatically know that's not what Rambam meant. And so therefore, he concludes as follows. Toyim kol hamoiris. Kol hamoiris moiris. All the Rabbanim make a mistake. Mitoich divrei Rambam zal. When they paskin. Toyim kol hamoiris moiris. Anyone who paskins from the Rambam. Ve'enom bekiyim begemara leida mehechan hoitzi edvarov. And they don't know how the Rambam got his din. They make things that are permitted, they make it forbidden. Things that are forbidden, they make permitted. Why? Because the Rambam didn't do like other authors. Most other authors, you show where you got your law from. They show the sources in the Gemara. With that, then you're able to learn the truth. In other words, had Rambam written the sources, so then you would learn the Rambam, you would go automatically go back, he assumes, and learn the Gemara. Gemara with Rambam, that's great. He's writing his Sefer, Nevius, as if God is speaking to him. Without explaining, without bringing any proof. Therefore, there's, no, there's this detachment between his text and the Gemara's text. So you're reading it, you think you understand it. And this is not the case. If you are not well versed in the Gemara, then you don't know, then you don't understand the Rambam. You're going to make a mistake when it comes to paskining. Do not rely on the Rambam to paskin and to judge. Without knowing the Gemara, without having backup in the Gemara. If you, the, the Parak Echot Shir of today had Ravid giving a similar criticism, but actually if you read it well, you'll see there's a difference. Ravid's criticism of Rambam is also, hey, you didn't bring, in the Hakdama, you didn't bring any sources. And therefore what? Because you didn't bring any sources, so the Ravid seems to be saying as follows. You, let's say you, you, the Rambam passed in a certain way. I think the Psak should be a different way. Where's the Rambam getting it from? Because maybe he heard from the Rimi Gash or from some other person that, that a different way of reading the Gemara. So I need to know the name. I need to know which rabbi told him to read the Gemara in a certain way, and then I'll judge. Ravid says, that rabbi may be greater than me, you know what, I'll suspend my way of understanding the Gemara for his way of understanding the Gemara. That's the Ravid's issue. Ravid's issue isn't so much, 
I need to check this up in the Gemara. That's not the Ravid's issue. The Ravid's issue is, I need to know which rabbi told you to read the Gemara that way, and then I'll choose whether I'm going to go with my way or with your way. That's the Ravid's problem with the lack of sources in the Rambam. That's not the Rush's problem. The Rush's problem here is very different. The Rush's problem is that I, I, you need to know the sugya in order to understand the Rambam. Had the Rambam given sources, so then you would be able to look up the sugya, and then you would know the sugya, and then the two together, they work. Rambam, without the sugya, means you're going to make a mistake. Then he goes on, and he says as follows, I heard from a great rabbi in Barcelona, he doesn't say who this is, who was well-versed in three of the six areas of Mishnah and Gemara, that is, the more relevant ones, Moyed, Noshim, and Nezikin. Right? As opposed to uh, Tarois, as opposed to Kachim, as opposed to Zeroim. He, he only knew the, the more relevant three. This person said, to Mahati, this, I'll just summarize outside what he says. This person said, I don't understand people, they read Rambam and they paskin based on that. I don't understand how they do it. I know that I know Nashim. I know Moyed and I know Nizikin. So when I learn the Rambam, I understand it. When I look at the Rambam on Zeroim, when I look at the Rambam on Kachim and Taras, I understand a word he's saying. So in other words, you really need to have the Gemara background to understand what the Rambam is saying. So those people who have no Gemara background, I don't understand how they understand any Gemara. This is what the Rush is quoting he heard from Adam Gadol in Barcelona. And so therefore, he says, uh, he concludes in this way. Uh, and this is the tshuva of the Rush that the Tzamach Sadek is quoting. What is the Tzamach Sadek trying to do? And he's saying, and he's saying, look, we're not, we're not bringing Rambam into the schools to replace Gemara. Okay, you guys want to get rid of Gemara and you want to bring Rambam in? That's not going to work? Well, look here. You have a text that says, the Rush, and remember, the second the Tamak Sadek says it's against our religion, he has power. He has some degree of power. We have, in our religion, it says, the Rosh says, you can't understand the Rambam without Gemara. So this whole uh, thing that you're trying to do is not going to work. Now, the truth is, if you read the Rush really well, you'll notice that at least four times he stresses that his issue is if you want a paskin, if you want a paskin. He says this four times. In fact, the very opening line is, It's about paskining. It's not about It's not about gaining knowledge. It's not about learning a sugya. That's not his issue over there. The whole issue was that someone made a wrong psak about a mikvah because he did it off of a Rambam without having the Gemara. And four separate times in this chuva, he makes this particular point. But I think what the Tzamaq Sadak was trying to say is, and why do you want to bring Rambam? One of the reasons you're trying to bring Rambam officially is because you're saying, Gemara, not relevant. You don't know how to act based on the Gemara because there's no maskana. The Rambam gives you and tells you how to act. So in a certain sense, your plan is to use it as a Meira Haira. And here we see, Taka, that this is not allowed. So uh, this is uh, one way, at least, of understanding what the Tzamaq Sadak was trying to do by bringing this rush. Now, now let's continue to number nine. The Samach Sadak, after bringing the Rosh, says as follows. If this is true for wise people, the Rosh has a great rabbi in Barcelona saying that he doesn't get Rambam without having background of the Gemara. So then, how much more so for small children. And then he says, in addition to the fact that we pass him by the Shulchan Aruch, which means we don't even, if you want to go to Maise, we use the Shulchan Aruch, and, and in many areas they disagree with the Rambam, and so therefore, uh, and, and Shulchan Aruch is already part of the curriculum. We already agreed in 1843, when we were part of this commission, Shulchan Aruch needs to be part of the curriculum, and so therefore, uh, um, uh, uh, that yes, but Rambam, uh, no. And then, in number 10, look what he says. In other words, you have to learn Gemara. In other words, their proposal was to get rid uh, of uh, the Gemara. And he's saying, and if you don't learn the Gemara, they're not going to understand uh, anything. Go after the ellipses. In accordance with the program that they agreed to in 1843. Now, there was another argument that was made about what would be good about the Rambam, is that the Rambam also has Musr. Musr means like Hilchas Deus, uh, about uh, becoming a better person and dealing with anger and revenge, uh, those types of topics. Says the Samach Tzedek, that reason you want to get Rambam in. And if this is about the Divrei Musr that you have in Rambam, we already put in our commission in 1843, we, we, we already put into the curriculum Musr of a whole, a whole bunch of Svarim. And he says, the, If you want to go Musr, don't go to Rambam. Rambam is mostly Dinim, not Musr. If you want to go Musr, go to the Sefer Menorah's Hamor. Last week we spoke about a rabbi named Rabbi Yitzchak Abuab. There's a number of Rabbi Yitzchak Abuabs. 
The one we spoke about last week was in the 17th century. Uh, but uh, Rabbi Yitzchak Abob in the 14th century in Spain wrote a sefer called Moneres Hamor, a very popular Musr sefer. And he says this, you want to use Musr, you use that. That's what you bring into the school. Then he continues, and he says in number 12, where should you use Rambam? In the rabbinical schools. They, they, in the rabbinical schools, that's where you could use Rambam. Aval, second line, loy lasois kitzer ulikute mimenu. No summaries, no excising parts, no collections. Why? Rambam himself writes in his Akdama that I'm writing B'derech Ksara. So if you're writing B'derech Ksara, how are you going to start skipping around? When someone, when someone writes and they ramble on and on and on, so you could summarize, right? But if, if someone wrote B'derech Ksara, it's precision, so you can't mess around with that. Uh, even great people are not going to be able to understand what you're doing. You're going to ruin the meaning even for, uh, for, 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 uh, um, for great people. And, and then in addition, he says, this is a davar chadash, asher loy hoya loy lamin. This is a reform that's unheard of, and we don't do that. You've got to learn keseder with the mefarshim. Okay, so in other words, uh, the Rambam that we're looking at that says Al Pi Rabonenu and includes the name of the Samach Sadak, uh, the Samach Sadak in fact was against the production of uh, this Rambam. He clearly said that number one, for the children, he's against it. And number two, for even for the Rabbanim, he's against making any sort of uh, summary. Well, here we see the type of summary that eventually was made. Besides for the fact that there were whole sections considered irrelevant that weren't put in, uh, like Hilchas Royim was not part of this edition, but even in the areas where there is relevant, so to speak, we were able to see the, some subtle changes or some less subtle changes that were introduced to uh, deal with um, the sensitivities. Now, we spoke about four sensitivities. All these four sensitivities were sensitivities that the Maskilim had. These were concerns that they had. So let me just remind you again. The idea that the Bezdin has power that's something that bothered the Russian government. The truth is we know that. That bothered the Russian government. And that's why many Svarim, we spoke about this last year in a class once, many Svarim, they would issue a note that would say, these halachas don't apply today. They would leave the text the way it is, and they would write, these halachas don't apply today, because dina machuzadina. So for example, there was a Rambam printed in Warsaw in 1881. So that's a few, a 30 or so years after this. And that's what they do. When there's uh, the Besden's power, they write a small note, by the way, this doesn't apply today. But we saw him, he changed Besden to Sanhedrin and turned it all into past tense, as we saw uh, before. The, the reference to the man having relations under the tree, created for schools. So for the enlightened, Jew, in the, the, enlightened, the enlightened society in the 19th century, these were types of things you don't bring into a curriculum, you don't want to talk about that, so you, you need to take those things out. There are other examples uh, of that as well. Uh, in terms of non-Jews and all of the Hasidic Omas Oilam and the Ger Toishov and how we think about non-Jews, that also, that was something that the enlightened, uh, the, Has the masculine were very concerned about, of how Jews looked at their Gentile neighbors and how they regarded them, and they wanted to introduce major change into, uh, into that area. Uh, and the truth is, this existed in other places, not only, in other words, uh, the, the other editions of the Rambam, what they did is, how they, they just changed, anytime it said non-Jews, they changed it to Akum. <laughs> and then they would just say, you have a problem with what we're saying in this text? It's not referring to you, it's referring to the people who are worshipping the stars and the planets. That's what they would say. I think they all widely understood that that's not what it meant, but it was enough. And uh, that element of censorship had existed for centuries beforehand. And uh, into Russia, and the Russians were okay with that generally. But for this, uh, for this edition, that wasn't good enough. Just to change it to Akum, that wasn't good enough. And so therefore we saw those additional changes uh, that were being made uh, over there. And finally, in the last category, about the kings. So the truth is that if you look at the editions of the Mishnah Torah that were printed in the Russian Empire, they didn't have the limits on the kings that for some reason didn't bother the censor. There was no, here there was an extra sensitivity from the masculine, which I understand as the, the, they felt that Jews weren't citizens enough of Russia, the Jews weren't loyal enough to Russia, and that any excuse, so to speak, that oh, this, you know, the king isn't just, and so therefore we don't have to listen to him. Anything that could even get close to that for the masculine, that was something that had to come out in their quest to uh, reform uh, Jewish society. So we, yeah, some of these elements that are in this censorship are also things that bothered uh, other areas and other, uh, other centuries and in other places, but some are highly unique to this, unique to this situation here, where Rambam was printed 
by Jews who were maskilim, who were employed by the Russian government, but who also had their own agenda and what they wanted to do and accomplish. Let's go back to the letter of the Tzamaq Tzedek and see additional important information over here. In number 13, the Tzamaq Tzedek says, and what about the Germans? So I didn't tell you this before. This Rambam, each volume is half in Hebrew, and the other half is a German translation with footnotes. With footnotes. And this is what he did. So he asked the Tzamaq Tzedek about it. And the Tzamaq Tzedek basically answers that he's against a uh, German translation. Now, why did they choose German? Remember, the, la the language of the land was Russian. Well, they chose German because that was the, the language that was considered the enlightened language at the time. If you wanted to get involved in literature, for example, what did you have in Russian in 1850? Not much. Later years, more. But in 1850, Russian literature, not much. German literature, oh, you had a lot. Same thing, philosophy. How many works of philosophy were available in 1850 in Russian? Very few. German, you had a lot. And so therefore, in much of Europe, German was considered the high-class language, and um, the masculine wanted that their fellow Jews should speak German. Now here's an interesting point where you actually see a wedge between what the Russians wanted and what the masculine wanted. The Russian government, they didn't care if they spoke German or not. They wanted them to assimilate, they wanted them to russify, they wanted them to speak Russian. But the masculine here, their goal wasn't russification per se. Their goal was, their goal was enlightenment. And so therefore, they had more of a Kach in German. And so therefore, they're going to take this Mishnah Torah and others farm and translate it Dafke into German, not into Russian. So the Tzamaq Sadek says, I'm against it. He says, educationally, it makes no sense. These kids, they speak Yiddish at home. They don't know a word of German. How does this make any sense for them to start, um, for them to start learning Rambam in German? Pedagogically, this is unwise to start introducing a new language uh, like that. And he says, even the adults, the adults do not speak this language, and it's not, uh, it's not a thing. And then, the Tzamaq Sadiq is aware of the fact that this is not part of the Russian government's agenda. And so what the Tzamaq Sadiq does, is he says, and by the way, that's not what the government wants. This is the only time, that's not what the government wants. The government wants Russian. German, that's for the bankers who travel a little, they need it. But the average person doesn't need it. And so therefore, uh, this is an area where... I realize, I think the Tzamaq Sadiq is saying, I realize this is you, not so much representing the Russian government's agenda, but your own, and so he's calling him out uh, on that. Obviously, all of these letters were uh, uh, shown to the Russian government. In fact, the Ksav Yaakoydish of the Tzamaq Sadiq for this letter that we're reading is in the archive in the Petersburg, in the Russian government. Oh, they had the, these letters, so he was very weird when he was writing it, that he was actually writing it uh, to two audiences. And so the bottom line is he's against the German translation, which did end up uh, happening. And uh, so the bottom line is, he ends this letter saying, the bottom line is, no changes whatsoever. You asked for an express response, so I'm hiring a runner, and we're sending this letter back to you, to uh, Leon uh, Mandelstam. Again, this is in Adar of 1843. Now we need to wrap up. There's another letter. <clears throat> the first letter, the letter that we just read, has been known for many, many years. The reason is, although the Ksaviyat Kedish is in Russia, but copies of it were made, and so it's been in print, for many, many decades it's been printed. In fact, a version of it is printed in uh, Kuntris of the Tzamaq Sadek and, and Tnuas HaAskala, which was printed in the 1940s. So this letter has been very well known for a long time. The following letter only was surfaced in 2006 where someone dug it up in the Russian archive. And it's a follow-up. What's the follow-up? So I'll summarize. It's after Pesach, the same year, and a shliach from Mandelstam comes to Lubavitch, and he says, we went to Rabbi Yisrael Halprin. Rabbi Yisrael Halperin was a big vir, and he lived in Berdichev, and he was part of the commission in 1843, and he supported Rabbi Yisrael of Elazhin. He supported the Tzamaq Sadek, and, he, uh, and, uh, and so th in, in 1848, Mandelstam also went to Halperin and asked Halperin the same question he asked the Tzamaq Sadek, what do you think about my proposal? There's no information over here about whether he asked Rabbi Yisrael of Elazhin. Remember, it's the last year of Rabbi Yisrael of Elazhin's life, so I don't know, maybe he asked him, maybe he didn't ask him. He does say here, that he did ask him, that it was, he was part of the Shailas Hachuvahs. So it seems that he did ask him, but what he said, we don't have a record. But Halprin, what Halprin did is he said, I'm against everything, against summarizing the Mishnah, against Tanakh, against the German, against everything. One thing I agree to, the Rambam proposal, I agree to one thing, that you should take the moral Rambam, not the Dinim, the moral, which is Hilchas Deis, Hilchas Chuvah, 
and a few prokem of a few halachas of Hilchis Yisaydei Atayra, and that you package together, and that you could um, and that you could uh, uh, present. You have to uh, do with the standard mefarshim, and that you could do. So now, because I got Halpern on board, I'm coming back to you, Tzamach Sadak. Are you willing to change your mind that we can go ahead with the Rambam? Tzamach Sadak responds and says, "I already answered you what I think that we can't do this. This is not a good idea for the reasons that I said in the in the previous letter. However." Because Halperin said what he said, so you don't have to accept my opinion, you could accept his opinion, but if you're accepting his opinion, this is how you have to do it. You could take Hilchas Deis, you could take Hilchas Tshuva, you cannot take Hilchas Yisaydi Atorah, because the Rambam clearly says at the end of Hilchas Yisaydi Atorah, this is esoteric matters, that's not for children. So that you can take. But you could take Hilchas Deis, you could take Hilchas Tshuva, you have to print the entirety of those two sets of halachas, not changing one word, and you need to print it on the title page that says, don't call it Eza Halachis Miyada Chazaka. You call it Hilchis Deis the Hilchis Tshuva Laharambam. And then it's authentic. And he says, the only reason, I still think it's not a good idea. But because I hear from you that you're anyway going to be introducing a new Musr Sefer into the curriculum, and you're not asking us that, and that you're doing. So if you're going to be doing it, so then yeah, so uh, go ahead with Halperin's uh, decision to go ahead and to do this. And... Um, and this is what happened. What happened was that in 1850, uh, it was printed, not just like Halperin had suggested, Hilchas Deus and Hilchas Chover, and that the Tzamach Tzadak somewhat agreed to. Uh, what was printed was a full set of Eza Halachas Miyada Chazaka, not the entirety, skipping around. As we saw, some things are even out of order. Uh, and uh, I, we saw a small taste of the types of changes that were made that reflected the Haskala ideology of the time that were introduced into this uh, uh, Mishnah Torah. Was it used? How many people? Did this have an influence on anyone? It's very hard to say. Generally speaking, those Chadarim, those schools that had the influence of uh, Haskalah had very little uh, impact on general society. Most Jews just continued doing what they're doing and didn't send their kids to these uh, schools that were following these protocols anyway. And those that were following the protocols probably very soon weren't uh, learning Rambam anyway. So how much of an impact it actually had uh, is, 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 uh, is, very hard, is very hard to say. So there is a long, a long history of censorship of the Rambam's text. The, primary story of this begins in the 16th century when many changes are introduced into the Rambam because the non-Jews say this is not acceptable. For example, Goyim changes to Avedis Kachavim Umazales, for example, that's one of the things, a number of others, and some of those were reflected in the changes that were made here. But what's unique about this is the censorship that was made by Jews in order to advance a certain Jewish uh, agenda, a certain Haskalah agenda uh, at that time. This is a fascinating window into the tension that existed at that time in terms of the battle over the Chinuch. Uh, which, as we know, is a battle that exists in many different generations, and many times in many different places. Uh, and, uh, and, um, and yeah, it's, it's quite interesting to see how it plays out here for Rambam. Now, the conclusion, the conclusion is as follows, that we just saw Samach Tzedek quoting the Rosh, who we can say is anti-Maimonidean, anti-studying the text of the Mishnah Torah. So I don't think it will surprise you that this came up in 1984, after the Rebbe announced the Rambam, so the initiative of learning the whole Rambam, so right away I don't remember exactly uh, when, uh, who was the one who asked the question, but the question asked, uh, was asked, and in the original Sikha, when the Rebbe said, explained the mission, the Rebbe addressed it in a very simple way. He said, we're talking about the, he said, we're talking about the Rambam, that's the rush. Great, so the rush has that view. Do you think the Rambam agrees with that view of the rush? <laughs> no, the Rambam said, I don't need to write my timing. And indeed, the Alter Rebbe presented as a machloikas rishonim. You have a machloikas rishonim. Are you allowed a paskin based on a law, or you have to know all the background? So he said, the rush holds. You need to know the background. And the Rambam disagrees. I didn't make. Uh, I, I didn't, who, uh, why do I need to ask the rush what I'm doing? We're doing with the Rambam. That's the answer that the Rebbe gave in a footnote in that original sicha. Okay. The difficulty with that is, but at the end of the day, the Alter Rebbe paskins like the rush. That's why the Alter Rebbe, when he issued the Shulchan Aruch, it has not only the Allah, it also has timing. So what are we saying? That we're going against the Alter Rebbe? So the Rebbe ex- explained at length that it's actually not against the Alter Rebbe. If you learn Hilchas Talmud Torah, the Alter Rebbe, well enough, you'll actually walk away at the conclusion that it's a great idea to learn the whole Mishnah Torah. We can't go uh, too much into the details, but two small points. One, the Rebbe said, Yud Bey Sivan, Tav Shem The Rebbe said, if you learn the Rosh really well, you see what's bothering him is, 
when you paskin in a way that you're comparing. And that is, Rambam speaks about case A. You are facing case B. You look at the Rambam, you're like, hey, A and B are similar, so I could paskin for case B based on the Rambam case A. That's where you need to know the background information. That's where you need to know the Gemara, because otherwise you could make a mistake. You could think B and A are so similar, but you're, it's not so similar. So that's really what he meant. Shabbos Parshas Chukas, Tav Shemandal, that said a different point, a more general point. The whole thrust of what the Rosh is talking about is passing in Lamaisa. And that's why I said before, four separate times is Lahoirois, Lahoirois, Paskin Lamaisa. You want to Paskin Lamaisa, there you can make an argument that we say the Alter Rebbe follows that argument that no, you can't Paskin Lamaisa without knowing the timing. Okay, Hagufas and Rambam says no. Rosh says yes, you must know the timing. Okay, fine, but that's only for knowing how to Paskin. But if you want to learn the Tayag Mitzvah, which is a noble endeavor, the Rebbe brings from the different sources how important it is to learn all the Tayag Mitzvahs. If you want to learn the Tayag Mitzvahs, then this is the best way, it's the optimal way, where your goal isn't Leidas Hamaisa Hashayafsa. So in summary, there were three points that the Rebbe said in response to the Rush. Number one, that's the Rush. Who asked the Rush? I'm speaking to the Rambam. Number two, the Rush is talking about a problem of when you're, when you're applying a Rambam to a new case. Number th- and number three, the Rush is talking about Paskining, and we're not talking about Paskining. So either way, Maybe this uh, Rambam here, the 1850 Petersburg edition, was being used as a, for a vehicle of Haskalah, for a vehicle uh, to reform uh, Jewish education. Uh, so yeah, it shows you that anything could be used in a positive way, in a negative way. So let's all use the opportunity to use the Rambam in a positive way, to become more familiar with the Tayag Mitzvah HaToyra, in the way that it's, uh, it's good for you and it's good for me. And what do you know? Hashem loves it too. I messed up the run. All right. Now we're going to make the seal.